ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam canto 12 chapter 13 entitled the glories of Shrimad Bhagavatam text 22 and 23 all right please repeat bhava bhava yata prakti padayo stava jayate tata kurushva devasha नतास्तमयता नतस्तम नायतो प्रभो भावे भावे यथा भक्ति पादयोस्तवा जायति तथा कुर्स्वा देवशा तथा In life after life. Yata. So that. Bhakti. Devotional service. Padayo. At the lotus feet. Tava. Of you. Jayate. Arises. tata so kurusva please do deva isha o lord of lords nata the master twam you na r yata because prabhu o lord translation by disciples of ac bhaktivedanta swami prabhupad o lord of lords o master please grant us pure devotional service at your lotus feet life after life i'll continue reading since there's no purport text 23 namasan kirtanam yashya sarva papa pranashanam pranamo dukha samanas तम नमामि हरिम परम 
I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Lord, Hari, the congregational chanting of whose holy names destroys all sinful reactions, and the offering of obeisances unto whom all relieves all material suffering. Thus ends the purports of the humble servants of his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, to the 12th canto, 13th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled, The Glories of Srimad Bhagavatam. The 12th canto was completed at Gainesville, Florida, on Sunday, July 18, 1982. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupam Kadamayam Tadati Swatpadantikam Vancha Kalpa Tarubascha Kripasanubayavacha Patitanam Pavanabio Vaishnavabio Namonamaha Jay Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadada Shri Vasadi Gaurapaktavrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare so today, um, on July 9th, 2019, we are finishing the Srimad Bhagavatam in its entirety. So we're in chapter, I mean, we're in canto 12, which is the last canto. We're in chapter 13th, which is the last chapter. And we just ran, chanted verses 22 and 23, which are the last two verses of the entire Srimad Bhagavatam. The entire Srimad Bhagavatam has 18,000 verses. So I guess for the last 18,000 days, we started with Canto 1, more or less, and ended up here. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are days we chanted more than one text, and there are days that we didn't chant from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, so I'm not even sure when did we start. Rupanuga, do you know when we started? Yeah, here in Dallas. Yeah, so it takes a long time. This entire Bhagavatam was chanted in seven days. Um, as we all know this story, Maharaj Parikshit was cursed to live for seven days, and he decided with his last seven days that he was going to go into the forest and hear the glories of God. And he learned from a very respected and highly learned um, Brahmin or guru, um, Sukadev Goswami. And just by listening to these talks between them, we can also become enlightened and reach our eternal um, position, which is the servant of Lord Krishna. So let me just read the two verses again so we can kind of keep those verses in our head. O Lord of Lords, O Master, please grant us pure devotional service at your lotus feet, life after life. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Lord, Hari, the congregational chanting of whose holy names destroys all sinful reactions, and the offering of obeisances unto whom relieves all material suffering. So in these two verses, we're asking for devotional service, the continuation of congregational chanting and the to destroy sinful reactions, and offering obeisances or respect to the Lord, to relieve our, our material suffering. So let's start with devotional service. What does devotional service mean for you? Okay. So it's 
Yeah, it's it's serving what you admire is one definition. Rupanuga, what does it mean for you? Uh, Rupanuga states it means unmotivated service to the Supreme Lord. And and what's your name, Mataji? Okay, and what's your name? Vijaya Mataji says, doing expectation, doing um, service to Krishna without any expectations, um, which is wonderful. All these explanations are very wonderful. Devotional service is in its most general form, um, or it's another word what we call bhakti yoga, and that's what connecting to the Supreme Lord through service, through devotion, through love. And service is a form of love. And so by serving, we show our love. And that's ultimately what we want to achieve is love of Krishna, of God. Because that is what our eternal position is. We actually already have that devotional service, that heart of love um, for the devotion, for the, for Krishna. It's just that um, because we've had our own material desires, that that service, that desire that we have, that innate service that we have, has been covered up with our own material desires. And we want to clean that covering so that we can really understand who we truly are. And the entire Srimad Bhagavatam is all about how to clean that covering. It talks about how to do it, why to do it, and then it gives us background and history as to you know, why it's important, and how this is our eternal um, constitutional position. Thank you. So, um, what are some things that we do to engage ourselves in devotional service? Clean the temple floor from the back. <laughs> Wake up early in the morning to do what? Read emails, get on Facebook. <laughs> to cleanse the body and come to the temple and to chant his holy names. Chanting Hare Krishna. And in the second verse we learn that that is... Um, Really important, congregational chanting destroys all sinful reactions. Association with devotees is another way we can achieve devotional service. Just coming to the temple and looking at the devotee, the deities is a way, is service. So it doesn't take much, you know, if we can, whatever little thing we can do. Krishna says, if one offers me a leaf, a flower, a fruit, some water with love and devotion, it pleases him, exactly, and that's what he wants, right, to be pleased. And that's what we want is to please Krishna. It doesn't take much. I mean, you can just pick a leaf, you know, off a tree and some water. Right now, water is not that um, hard to get, so we can easily offer some water and a leaf, flower, um, and express our devotion that way. If we can do more, then we should definitely do more. We should definitely serve at our capacity, and not less, and not more. Um, I say not more because we don't want to overextend ourselves and pretend to be something that we're not. We always want to be authentic in our service to 
to Krishna and the devotees and Guru. And to be authentic, we have to be very honest about where we are. This is a journey. This is a path. Um, most of us here are on that path, and some may be further along on that path, and some of us may be you know, further back. And some of us make, make progress on that path and then decide we need to go back for some reason, and then we go back, and we go back and forth. So, you know, devotional service isn't a linear, is not a linear um, slope towards, you know, this um, perfection of life. It's more like a crisscross and squiggly lines all over the place. I know I was um, having this conversation, you know, just 20 years ago, I attempted, maybe more than 20 years, I attempted to read the Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita. I read the Bhagavad Gita, but man, I thought it was like pulling teeth. And I was like, this is the hardest book I've ever read. It was so boring to me. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. The Srimad Bhagavatam... Same thing, I think I got as far as the fourth canto, and I thought, this is really, like, who can understand this? And I started reading um, the Bhagavad Gita again a couple of years ago, and I read it, it was one of my Karthik vows. Karthik is uh, this wonderful month in the fall, where we celebrate all the pastimes of Krishna when he was here on earth. Um, Krishna is the Supreme Lord, it means all attractive. And so... During this month, many of us make vows to kind of further our um, feelings of service and devotion and love. And I made the vow that I was going to read the Bhagavad Gita, and I read it in 30 days. And I was just blown away about how much knowledge there was in there, how relevant it was to my life, and how I relished it. And since then, I decided that I was going to read two verses a day, which then you finish up the whole Bhagavad Gita in a year, and I'm in my third reading. And I was thinking, how could I have ever thought this was boring? Because every time I read it, I find something new. So I decided to start reading the Srimad Bhagavatam again about a year and a half ago. I read about 15 minutes a day. Um, Now, I haven't been that steady with it, so I'm only, you know, halfway through the second canto. But again, I was thinking... So much great information that's relevant on how to live our lives, how to achieve that devotional service. So um, my point here is that 20 years ago, even though I was on this path, definitely a lot further along on this path than I was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, my mood was like, okay, I know this is what I have to do and what I should be doing, and so I'm going to chant and, you know, serve. Um... Now my mood is, I want to chant with devotion. I want to chant in such a way that I feel the love. I'm not there. And, you know, every night I think, okay, I'm going to get up early in the morning, and I want to chant my rounds. And, you know, sometimes I get it done, and sometimes it's like, okay, well, let's just work on getting these rounds done. But I know the difference is that I want to want that um, feeling Whereas before, it was just like, I just want to get it done. Um, So that's progress. I mean, again, it's not like I'm perfect, and many of us are not. Um, But we're all on this path together, and I think that's one of the beautiful things of having Prabhupada create these these temples is that we all have each other to support each other. And um, that's really the main important thing, because while doing, you know, seeing the deities is devotional service, 
it's really associating hanging out with other devotees where we really make progress because we can be vulnerable with each other. Um, and it should be comfortable. We, it, um, we should feel very secure in being vulnerable with each other. And the way we can do that is we personally become non-judgmental. And if we realize that we're all struggling and we're all on this path together, you know, I've heard it said, this is one big hospital and everybody is getting treatment. Everybody is on some level of recovery and, and getting better, but we're all sick. Well, then someone who's a little bit healthier shouldn't, you know, berate someone for being less healthy but still seeking treatment. Um, so again, we should all be very supportive of each other. And, um, and that way we can feel honest and say, you know, this is where I'm at and this is where I want to be and this is what I'm doing to achieve that. We can support each other. Sometimes you don't want to get any better than what you are, but you should want to want to. And, um, I think it was Rupa Goswami that said that, like, we should want to be in the, the boat of devotional service, but if we don't want to, then we should want to want to. And if we don't want to want to, then we should want to want to want to. And somewhere on that ladder, we should be. And I think most of us that are coming are on that ladder some way. The um, second point here is the congregational chanting destroys all sinful reactions. There's two points here. You know, congregational chanting, that's what we call kirtan, the call and response chanting of the holy names. And Honestly, that's one of my favorite activities, and I think for a lot of people, that's our favorite activities because it's so much fun, and there's music, and it's enlivening. Um, and to realize that that destroys sinful reactions, which is what we call karma. So, you know, every action has an, a reaction to it. So whatever we sow, that we shall reap. In this case, when we chant in a congregational setting, or even in our own personal japa, we're kind of destroying those karmic reactions. Um, two things. Does that mean that we can go out and do whatever we want and then just chant? No, because that is counter to what we're talking about. Because, again, we want to be improving. We want to improve how we behave and how we are and, and, and how we engage with each other. So... Um, it's more that we're using that chanting to give us strength to not keep committing the same offenses that we keep committing, that we've been committing for life after life. Um, and then the second part is that, does that mean that, you know, you don't have any kind of reactions from previous engagements? Does that mean that either? It just means it may not have been as bad as it was. So, you know, let's say that your karma reaction was to be in a car accident where you might have gotten paralyzed. But instead, um, of, because of chanting and because of what your services and because of the challenges and thing and lessons you may need to learn, you may be in the same car accident, but instead of getting paralyzed, you may just be hurt. And so you never really know what was really going to happen um, and so that way, this this way, the that your karmic reactions have been less severe, because you still learn the same lesson from the previous action. You just it wasn't as severe of a of a punishment, so to speak. Um, 
And then offering obeisances unto the Lord relieves all material suffering. So who is not suffering in the material world? Everybody is suffering. And one of the biggest, huh? Dead people. But then they may have come back, right? And now are suffering in a new body. So everybody in the material world is suffering. And um, there's different types of suffering. There's the suffering from just weather, nature. There's the suffering from each other. There's the suffering from our mind. Um, So there's all types of suffering that we have. What are some of, you know, what are some things that you feel are suffering, things that you have to suffer? Rupanuga? Finding fault in people is right. Our, that's your suffering um, because you get some bad reactions from that, right? You find fault in others; they may not like it. Then it ruins your relationship with them, right? And it makes them not want to be around you. <laughs> um, what about for you? Health-wise, yeah, our body is a major. Yeah, our body doesn't tend to cooperate. For you, what's some of your sufferings? For you, it's going to the mental hospital. Um, and so we all have different types of suffering. I mean, I have my body doesn't react the way I want it to. Finding fault with others, not being able to achieve what I want to achieve. But really, all of this suffering comes from the fact that this life is temporary, and we're meant to be eternal. So we feel that distress of not being in touch with who we really are, right? Servants of Lord Krishna, of of God, and we're eternal, we're full of knowledge and full of bliss. But because of our material desires, we're having to, all of that's covered up, we're in this temporary body, that's not really blissful, <laughs> and it's not really full of all knowledge, so it's the opposite. It's ignorant, sad, and temporary. Um, but that's not our true nature, and that's where all of our suffering stems from, because we're not in touch with that true nature of who we are. Um, and so there's so many different types. I mean, just, I don't even have to, like, leave my own boundaries to find suffering. My body, my mind... You know, the mind can be such a, a great source of suffering because how we interact with the world is determined by our mind. And we can see things in a positive way or we can see things in a negative way. Um, but if we see everything as related to Krishna, then it, it relieves that suffering. So again, here, it doesn't mean that people that offer obeisances all of a sudden live this great and peaceful and amazing lives. It's that they may still have the suffering of the health and the mind and the body and, you know, nature. They still have to endure this 110-degree heat. Um, But it's not as painful. It's not as bad because we've, you know, we've surrendered unto the Lord. And so we have so much pleasure from that. It kind of covers up all the other um, problems that we have. Now, there are times, because this is such a temporary um, existence, 
And we're not in touch with who we are. Sometimes we use other things to cover up our material suffering. Um, some people can turn to drugs. Some people turn to food. Some people turn to other types of vices. And so, you know, I've often been asked, been asked why do Hare Krishnas not take intoxication? And, you know, until I started reading the Bhagavatam, I didn't realize this about austerity, that we want to be fully aware of what's happening around us and not numb ourselves to the suffering, but realize that the suffering is, is here so that we can further our relationship with God. And through that furthering of the relationship with God, we have a more permanent solution to this suffering. So um, it's really important that we we chant and we get in touch with our devotional service and, and our true nature. Um, I tell this story a few times, and I like to tell it uh, because it's a great example of how we are and how we should be. So I have this, many people might know, I have some pets. I have a cat and a dog. And as everybody knows, a dog is like super loving, super super loyal, does not hesitate to express his love, does not hesitate to um, serve you at the mo- at a moment's notice, right? He's fully engaged in whatever is going to keep me happy. Um, the cat, while he also loves me, I have no doubt, tries to be a little bit more aloof, right? He's oh, I I see you there, but I'm not going to give you any attention. And he takes his time and he does things at his own time and he acts like he doesn't need me. He acts like he doesn't love me. He acts like he doesn't care. Well, last year I was traveling a lot. And after, I think it was every other weekend, I had taken a four-day weekend I was out of town. And by the third weekend, um. But when I was, after the third weekend, I came home and, you know, I was home for a few days and I started noticing he was not well. He wasn't working well. Um, he was getting sick and he was almost at, like, when I took him to the vet, he was almost at death's door. And they told me if I had waited a couple more hours, he would have passed. And so we found out the reason for all of this was that he was so stressed out at my absence that he formed these crystals in his bladder, and that caused him to have blockage and he couldn't urinate, and that caused kidney failure and him to almost die. And I thought, this cat who doesn't show me any love, you know, as much as the puppy does, has really stressed himself out in my absence that he almost died. Whereas the puppy always shows love, and he was fine. Like, he was fine not, you know, me not being there. Yes, he was really happy when I returned. And I thought, that's how we are. We pretend like we don't need, we're like the cat. We pretend like we don't need Krishna. We pretend like we're really independent. But in his absence, we get really sick. And we are really sick. And that's what material suffering is. Um, but we should really be more like the puppy, like the dog, right? Just unconditionally showing our love realizing that he is our master and everything we do should be for him. So that was just some realizations I had with my interactions with my jivatmas in my, in my house, my pets. What questions do you have for me?
Yes, Rupa Nika. Uh, you were talking about, uh, I think, the last version made a purport. There's no purport. So, talking about congregational chanting and relieved suffering. Yes. And I'm wondering, uh, some of us have the tendency to want to just uh, serve our deities at home, or even if we have only pictures on the altar. So the question is, I'm just going to repeat for Internet World. Um, you know, many of us uh, are very busy and we have our own altar, whether it's deities or pictures at home, and um, he's wondering if there's any difference at chanting at home, because we may not want to get dressed and get ready and come here, and um, versus coming here and chanting with other people. Um, I'm going to say yes and no. Yes, there is a difference, and no, there's not. It really depends on the person, and again, if we're really and truly honest with ourselves, which is better. Obviously, it's better to chant at home than not at all, um, and it's also better to chant in the in the midst of other devotees than not at all. Um, so, you know, I know I'm guilty of that same mentality. Well, if I have to go to the temple, I have to get dressed, I have to shower, and I can just start chanting immediately here and save myself about thirty minutes. That's very generous because it usually takes me longer to get ready. Um, save myself about 30 minutes to, and start chanting. But I also found, for me personally, that if I come and chant in the temple with other people, my chanting is so much more potent and so much more meaningful because as an extrovert, I really thrive on the energies of others, and I that increases my energy. And I think that adds to the energy of the room, which then increases the energy of the room. So everybody benefits from everybody being together. Now, there are some people that are introverts and that being around other people can actually be um, harmful and it can take away from their own energies. For them, sometimes they need to be by themselves to chant, to really focus. Um, Sometimes in the temple room, you get somebody chanting that can really just get into your mind and you can't concentrate because our tendency to fault fine and we just say, okay, well, this person's chanting like this. and So then in that case, maybe it is better to, to step out of that situation. But if you can come to the temple and chant together and that is ideal, then we want to do that. Did I answer your question? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Um, so Rupanuga says that, you know, for him, if he makes the effort to come to the temple, 
but then he doesn't see anybody that he knows. The people that he feels that inspires him, he feels a little disappointed, um, discouraged maybe from coming to the temple. And that, I think, is a problem that all of us suffer from, right? Because we are um, social creatures and we have our niche of people that we're social with, um, that it's it gives much more pleasure to us when we get to see them at the temple and hang out with them. But I think part of that is to expand that circle and and learn to see the inspiration and joy in whoever is there. And if you come to the temple, because sometimes you can come here at 4.30 in the morning and there's not really that many people here or anybody here, well, we still have the deities here. And we have to remember that they're people too. And so... Um, we can always relish in that intimate association that we get with them. Um, so, and then we have such a variety on our altar. You know, we have Radha Kalachanji, we have Radha Govinda, Chota Radha Kalachanji, Jagannath Baladev Subhadra, and Gorni Tai. So, we have a variety of of people there that we can choose to take inspiration and um, association of. Did that answer your question? <laughs> Maybe we'll see if anyone else has questions, then we come back. Does anyone else have any questions? Yes. About what I talked about. Right. So let's try to stick to what we talked about devotional service. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I find myself using as an excuse for not coming. Uh, the fact that uh, the people that I respect most in the community, I, I don't see them coming to the vote. And I feel that justification for my not coming because Krishna states that as a great man does, common men follow. So Upanuga says, uh, asks if you know he feels that he might be a little bit justified in not coming regularly because he doesn't see the people that he admires and respects and looks up to coming. And he says, you know, what a great man does. Well, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, what a great man does, common men follow. And um, he's asking, you know, does that give him that justification? I would say I don't think you need justification. I think, you know, we have to act, again, authentically to our true selves. And and um, if it's if you know that that's what inspires you, is knowing that these certain people are going to be here, and then you come here and they're here, and that increases your service attitude, then definitely we want to foster that. But the other side of it is, is that as a senior disciple here, senior leader here, you also set that example. So, you know, you may not 
get that inspiration, but you're giving that inspiration. So hopefully that inspires you to come more regularly because then people see you that, that you're coming and, you know, maybe they'll take inspiration and, and start to come as themselves. So what we, can, we can't really change how other people think, behave, or act, but we can change how we behave, think, and act. And leading by example is always the best way to go, you know, um, you don't necessarily have to tell people what you're doing, but show them what you're doing. And, you know, they can say, oh, wow, Rupanuga is coming to the temple regularly. Then maybe I should start coming a little bit more, you know. And, I mean, I definitely can say that. I don't come other than when I do my deity dressing service and sometimes occasionally on Sunday feasts. And, I, and I've had that similar experience. You know, I come on Sunday feast and... Not everybody, not, you know, people that I'm usually associating with are not there. And, um, or, you know, whoever's leading Kirtan is not really one of my favorites. It, it's harder to get out of that mindset and say, you know what, I'm here for Krishna. And whoever's leading is still chanting with their heart. And whoever's here is still here. And, you know, being able to talk with and associate with the people that are here. And I don't consider myself a senior devotee here, but I have been around for, I think I was initiated 23 years ago. So I have a little bit of experience and knowledge and that I can always learn from others and I can also teach. And teaching is a great way to learn. Um, And so that's just, you know, a mindset that I can have to help me to kind of overcome that obstacle. Any other questions? When our spiritual master was present, then when he would come to the temple, then many other people would come, many devotees, many disciples of his would come to the temple uh, just because he was present. And now that he's not physically present, there seems to be uh, not as much uh, motivation well, that's true. Um, so Rupananga states that when our spiritual master, Shamal Krishna Goswami, was present and here in Dallas, and he would come to the temple, like everybody would be at the temple. The temple room would be filled. Um, and now that he's no longer physically present, you know, the same people are not as likely or inclined to come. They're not motivated as much to come. I think, um, I mean, a lot of that is true. It's harder to motivate ourselves without the physical presence. Um, We take so much strength from those experiences. I know for me personally, when I first, when, when Gurudev first left, it was hard to come back to the temple because I had so much experience with him here that coming here brought a lot of memories, and that was painful. Um, and so, you know, it takes a little bit of time to get used to that, that um, absence of, you know, his physical presence. And we do know that he's always here. So when I started to come again regularly, I, I feel his presence here. Um, and if you really tune in to it, you can really feel his presence here. 
But we see this, it's a common thing. Like when we have um, guest lecturers or guest speakers, you'll see there's a lot more people in the class than there are right now. Um, when we have, you know, uh, visiting sannyasis and visiting gurus, the temple room is more filled for the morning program, for whatever programs that they're here for. You know, so... Um, I don't think it's a good or bad thing. I just think it's where we're all at. You know, it was so much easier to feel inspired and do our devotional service and chant our rounds and follow the four rags when our spiritual master physically was physically present. And even when he wasn't here in Dallas, his presence on earth made that like gave me that strength to follow through. Um and since many of us don't have that realization of, of that Vani Vapu um, form, so I always get confused. Vani is the physical presence, and Vapu is the word? Yeah. So Vani means the physical presence of the spiritual master, and Vapu means the word of the spiritual master, or God, in either case. Um and so, really, the word of the spiritual master, his um, devotional service for his guru and to Krishna, is the most important thing, more so than the physical presence. But because we are in this material world, and we like concrete physical examples and, and being able to touch and feel, we have our senses, which we're really limited in, um, that makes it so much easier to to engage. So without those, you know, engaging in our physical senses, it's harder for us to see with our subtle senses that Gurudev is still here. Right. And so, you know, each person's on their own journey, and we can't fault them for that. Um, and so we, you know, want to, again, offer them support. You know, maybe if that's something that we're thinking of, maybe it's like, hey, this Saturday or Sunday, once a month, let's all go to the morning program and create like a community morning program. I mean, technically every day should be, but because of our everyday lives and what we're doing and how busy we are and what's going on, we can't always do it. But that would be something that, you know, that's something that you want to head up. That would be a great idea. Well, I think um, Surupanega says that if he's coming to the temple and not, and a lot of people are, then he certainly doesn't have as much of the attractive nature as our spiritual master did. And I would say, well, I don't think very many people had that attractive nature that our spiritual master did. He was a very unique personality in that way. Um, but I think it's still just setting the example for yourself and having integrity with yourself to do that. So if you want others to do it, but you're not doing it, then how can you expect other people to do it? And so just continuing to do what you know and you feel is right for you um, is what's going to make the change. And then, you know, if you call up a few people the night before and say, 
hey, I'm going to the morning program, please come with me. You know, if you extend a personal invitation, they're more likely to come. And it's not that we don't want to come. Sometimes we just get caught up in our own lives. And we get caught up in whatever suffering and hankering we're in the middle of at the moment. (laughs) Any other questions? Okay. Well, thank you so much. I think it's breakfast time now. So, Hare Krishna. Well, if there's no more questions. <laughs> okay. So I think the most, so again, Rupananga says, what can you do to to attain those qualities that people will want to follow him and will want to to have that kind of influence? He's not looking for, you know, fame or anything like that. And I've heard the same term, um, influence, not fame, right? So you want to be influential, but not famous necessarily. Right, set a good example. Um, I think it really it just comes down to doing what's true and authentic to yourself. Um, a good leader is always authentic to themselves and, um, you know, lives from the mode of goodness, right? So it's always more inspiring to be, in the, be near someone who's in the mode of goodness versus the mode of passion and the mode of ignorance. Um, when you're around someone who's in the mode of passion, I know that I tend to start feeling a little anxious and, you know, flitty. But for when you're around someone who's in the mode of goodness, you feel peaceful. And I think we talked previously in a different class about the different modes. There's a whole um, few chapters on that in the Bhagavad Gita, so it's an extensive talk. Extensive talk. But really, it's it's um, serving with that attitude of no expectations it's um doing what you know you being in having integrity with yourself and having compassion for others um it's Um, I think that those are the qualities that people would be attracted to to to, to fall to not follow but to be with that person are things like people that are genuine and true to themselves, right? They're compassionate, so they don't feel um, so people that are around you wouldn't feel like they're being judged, and they would feel that empathy and that love, 
from you. Um, you know, they would also feel comfortable to be their authentic self around you. Um, I think those are some, I mean, there's so many qualities of a devotee, 64 qualities, and, you know, I don't, I can't off the top of my head remember all of them, but, you know, that compassion is there, um, being, having integrity, right? So that goes back to being authentic. If you're saying, well, you know, no going to the movies and no doing this, but then you're doing it, people will sense that discrepancy, the hypocrisy there. Even if they may not know it, they will still kind of sense that, you know, Whereas not, we're not saying, oh, yeah, go to the movies and have fun. We're saying, if that's something that you're doing, that's fine. We also realize that that's something we want to get away from doing, but that's that path. Um, and, you know, for right now, if that's how we engage with people, then we engage with people that way. If that's something that gives us a little bit of temporary relief of this material suffering, then, you know... We're engaging in that. So it's being authentic, non-judgmental, compassionate, um, having integrity. And of course, you know, these are the, the, the qualities that come to mind for me because they're important for me. Um, are those the qualities that you saw in our spiritual Definitely. Very compassionate. Um, very much filled, filled with integrity, very much authentic. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things that struck me about him is that I didn't really find that he was um, hypocritical. So, and he definitely embodies that servant leadership quality that we read about. Okay. Hare Krishna. Mantra Shimad Bhagavatam Ki.